Turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke. Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2. All right, now, just to be clear, Merry Christmas to everyone. We're not finished with Christmas just yet, okay? The Epiphany happens on January 6th, and so we're a few days out. But for now, as the world has moved on and is looking probably, if I had to guess at... uh, Certain stores is probably Valentine's stuff already coming out, okay? They've moved on for retail purposes, but the church remains celebrating Christmas until the Epiphany happens this week. And so, with that in mind, we're at the second Sunday after Christmas, and here is our scripture reading for this Sunday, and it comes from uh, Luke chapter 2, and, and as you know, Luke has certain unique infancy narratives, but Luke also has a blip of Jesus as a child, and we don't get that anywhere else but here. So this is unique to Luke's gospel. It's nowhere else in the Bible or any other document. And, um, and so it's a unique thing that we have an opportunity to read today. And, um, and I, I kind of want to preface even the reading here with just saying this. There are four eyewitness accounts of Jesus Christ all right, and these four accounts we have and we know as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are people who were directly connected to people that saw Jesus, that handled Jesus, that was with him and heard him speak these words. And so that's why when we say in the Nicene Creed, for instance, or uh, elsewhere, we say the apostolic church. That doesn't have to do with necessarily a Pentecostal thing. Typically, if a church is called apostolic, then They normally have a charismatic shift, but no, instead the apostolic church is one where apostles pass on this story to other apostles or disciples, and that apostolic line is held secure and tight all the way down until January 2 of 2022, where we again witness, notice, the eyewitness accounts of these events. Does that make sense? There's an apostolic succession, if you will, and you're a part of it, and I'm a part of it, and we get to witness to that and join together as we hear these words. And so Luke's voice must be heard, and and that's why it's important for us to read it, put it in our hearts, and continue to proclaim it so that other disciples can witness to this same Jesus. All right, so with that in mind, let's look here at Luke chapter 2. We'll drop down to 41, where we see Jesus at 12 years old. What a unique thing here. So, the parents of Jesus went to Jerusalem every year for the festival of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was with the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him. Among their relatives and their friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, Why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, why were you searching for me? 
Did you not know that I must be in my father's house or about my father's business? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Lord Jesus, the same Jesus we've read about here at 12 years old, would you amaze us as you amazed these first hearers? Would you astonish us with who you are? Maybe we've come today thinking we know who you are, that this is just ho-hum, nothing new to learn here, nothing to see here. Lord, would you today, by the power of your spirit, the same spirit that was at work in the boy Jesus, that is at work now in your church, that same spirit, would you bring amazement to us as we look into the life of our Lord, we pray in your name, amen. Well, here we are at Christmas with an essential Lucan story that only he can give because quite frankly, the whole nativity scene would be deficient without Luke's account. And of course, I've made reference to that already this, uh, well, last year, I guess. Uh, But during this Christmas season, I've already made reference to this. Uh, But here again, we have a narrative, just a small story that Luke wants to share with us that is important to his story that he is telling about Jesus Christ. Now, none of the other guys mentioned this. Uh, Not John, not Matthew, not Mark. Uh, But Luke does. Because Luke, if you follow his narrative, if you follow his gospel, his presentation of Jesus Christ, his eyewitness accounts. And he tells us at the beginning of his book, he says, look, I understand other people have written about Jesus. I'm going to write an account as well. Some based upon that, others based upon eyewitness accounts, which if you notice and take careful reading of Luke, Luke has also more women in his gospel than anybody else. Now, it's not because of any political thing. He wasn't doing a thing there, okay? He's just telling the story as it was, but it shows that there were women present at every major point in Jesus' life. And whereas you have Zechariah, you also have Elizabeth, and and so on and so forth. We can go all the way through the book, okay? Not going to take time to do that, but notice, as you read through Luke, and when you read through Luke, and, and, and get this, as a church, we'll essentially read through all of the Gospel of Luke in your C, That's the year we're in now in the church calendar. So our lectionary readings all year will be coming from Luke. So so in some sense, at the beginning of the year here, I'm setting up, you know, volleying to you all to make sure that you are able to hit Mark where it comes to us and how it comes to us. And that is he is going to focus on the least and he's going to focus on the lost and he's going to focus on those who were of no account in the first century world, namely women, children. Children were of no account in the first century world. They had no bearing in in even family life. They were at the bottom rung. Now, that's not our culture today at all, okay? Most families that I know, the children dominate the family, which I think is wrong, uh, in fact. It's it's turned upside down. Uh, but, But in most families, the children are the ones who determine where we're going to eat and how we're going to eat and you know, whatever else uh, happens in a family. That's not the way it should be, but that's how our culture is today. Well, that's not how it was in the first century world, which is why when you bring a story of a child into play, it's quite amazing that he would even mention a child. Like, most people wouldn't take that of no account. 
And you may remember that the first people to witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ are women, right? The first person to witness to the incarnation of Christ are women, Elizabeth and Mary. We, we talked about that a couple Sundays ago. So Luke is using people that would have been of no account in the first century world. But for our world and for all of the world, they are of account because they are his people. <laughs> no matter woman, man, child, old people, God uses all kinds of people, doesn't he, in the Bible? He is no respecter of persons. So as you sit here, you find yourself in a category of one of those things, right? You're old or you're young or you're in the middle like I am or you're male or you're female. Well, God can use you. That's what I think the Bible is saying. And he does use people just like us. Now, Luke is taking us on a journey. And, you know, every story kind of invites us to journey, right? If I, if I tell you, I say, let me tell you a story. You know, you kind of lean in expecting certain things. Well, Luke is giving us those things that we expect from a good story. And one of the, one of the motifs in, in uh, the Gospel of Luke is journeying. There's this, there's this idea of going somewhere, right? And, and life is not just cyclical. It's not just... Oh yeah, the sun's coming up, it's going down, it's coming up, it's going down. That's pagan to think in those terms. That things have always been the same way that they've always been and always will be the same. No, we, the scriptures, talk about a linear chronology, right? We're going somewhere, aren't we? And that is to Christ. We're not going in a circle. No, we're not confused. We're headed somewhere, right? And so every good story moves in that sort of journeys in that kind of uh, sort of way. And so, you know, Luke's story begins in Jerusalem at the temple. This is important with Zechariah, remember the priest? So he opens up his story. You know, just think in terms of watching a movie. You know, maybe, maybe you watched a show or a movie over, over the holidays, right? We had a little extra time. Well, the opening scene is kind of important, isn't it? You know, that pilot episode? That's an important thing to grab our attention. Where does Luke begin to grab our attention? None other than the temple in Jerusalem, Zion, the city of God, the mountain of God, the house of God. This is where he begins. And this is where Jesus is brought as a baby, remember? So, so for Luke, he's, he's uh, showing the temple in all sorts of ways throughout his gospel. And one of the ways he does it is by having Jesus brought, again, no other gospel writer mentions this. But Jesus is brought after the time of purification. Well, first of all, he's circumcised, eight days old, so there he is. But then he also, after the purification, which would have been after 40 days, there he is in the temple. And Anna, you remember, and Simeon, both Simeon raises him up and prophesies over him. And Anna also blessed him. Notice, man and woman, right? Because man and woman are the image of God. This is the picture God wants for us of his relationship with us of marital bliss, marital covenantal love. And so from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, now you get Simeon and Anna here. What are they doing? They're praising God and recognizing Jesus. They see who this child is when others still have not seen. The shepherds who are, again, of no account in the first century world, um, they see the Christ child when no one else does. And so there's this, there's this motif of the least of these, the people who are discounted uh, coming to Jesus Christ. And so there he is also at age 12 now. And, and what we're told is that this was the usual thing for them to do. 
right? Now, there were three feasts. Uh, you had, uh, what was it, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles that men, Jewish men, had to attend, all right? So, so these three feasts, every year, they had to pilgrimage if you were a devout Jew. Now, I use that term devout uh, particularly because sometimes in our culture we talk about, oh, well, yeah, they're, they're not devout. They're not, a, um, you know, they're, they're Catholics, for instance, is just a prince. They're Catholic, but they're not devout. In other words, they don't go. Or, yeah, they're Christian, but they're not devout. Now, one could argue, right? <laughs> Can a disciple not be devout? I mean, look up the term disciple, right? Learner. Committed to a mentor. One would have to be devout. Okay, that's, you know, uh, almost uh, goes without saying, doesn't it? But here we're told this was usual. That they, It says they went up as usual for the festival. In other words, this was something that was a part of that. But notice, it wasn't just Joseph that went up. He brought the whole family. This was a holy family practicing piety. We don't use that term a lot, do we? Practicing piety. Holiness. You say, how do you practice holiness? Well, by doing what you did, pilgrimaging this morning to church, to the ecclesia, to the gathering of believers. And every Sunday, can I just go ahead and, and let you know there's 52, now 51, Sundays in 2022. That's it. 52 times where we get to pilgrimage to church. Pilgrimage and are required to. Now, that's not my request. It's not something I wrote into the bylaws of this church to put a to put oppression upon you, right? Sometimes that's the way I feel, you know, from people. It's like, hey, uh, you know, don't don't tell me when to come to church and don't don't badger me about this. People don't say that, but I feel like I feel that sometimes, you know. And I'm like, look, I'm not the one that's. I'm telling you, you must be somewhere worshiping with the people of God on Sunday. That's a requirement. Now, we could, I could spend time proving to you in the book of Acts, also written by Luke, by the way, I could show to you how it was on Sunday that important events happened in the book of Luke. Excuse me, in the book of Luke. There's some water. Um, I won't take the time to do that. You just have to take my word for it and then read Acts yourself. You'll see Paul on the first day of the week. You'll see Peter on the first day of the week. These are important pieces of time because... All time, although holy because of God, is not the holiest of times. There are times in our life where we plant a flag and make those days holy days. One of those days is December 25. And look, there's a big debate, you know, was this actually Jesus? The point is, the church has said, this is when we're going to celebrate this day. This is a holy day. The Epiphany, January 6th, is a holy day. Ash Wednesday, a holy day. In other words, we're not just cruising through life every day the same. No. No, there are markers in our life where we mark them as a unique day and we should treat it as such. All right? Jesus did. And they, listen, it wasn't an easy travel, okay, from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It's about 100 miles. Walking. <laughs> Okay, they didn't have nice cars with air conditioning and this and that. And, and look, this was usual that they went up, which means a lot of their year was spent traveling, which meant his work was on the road. All right, which means they sacrificed, which means they risked 
to be there. But it was usual. This is what we do. I hope that for my kids, when Sunday rolls around, it's normal for them to go to church. They're not surprised. Now look, my kids get surprised by the funniest things. Like going to bed at night. It's like, huh, we've never done this before? Why are we having problems going to bed? Why are we having problems eating our food? No. Kids, just like adults, have problems with rhythms in their life. And, and, and New Year's is oftentimes a, a time where we talk about the rhythms of our life. Because, quite frankly, a psychologist tells us it takes about 30 days to establish a habit. Something that's usual, right, in our life. To where it begins to be normal for us. And I've had a few times where I actually went through with a resolution, you know, for the New Year. Most of the time I failed, and that's statistically speaking most of you as well. Um, uh, that's, that's just the data that's out there. Is most of you will make promises to yourself at the beginning of the year that you will not keep. Could I ask you to keep one promise? Could I ask you to be devout about meeting in God's house? Just be devout about it. Be pious. Be holy about it. In other words, you can already put it on your calendar. Google Calendar will help you with this. It'll notify you that, hey, tomorrow is Sunday. Which means we gather as believers. We worship the risen Lord because from the very first Sunday, that is the Sunday where Jesus rose from the dead, that first Sunday to now, believers have gathered on that day and declared it a holy day. Now the world doesn't think anything about it being holy. It's just another day, right? Now, used to in America, we had a cultural kind of Christianity that, that, you know, still protected Sunday. Not anymore, not anymore, but that's following in most of the rest of the world. Uh, most of the rest of the world does not consider Sunday any, any uh, unique day at all. Could I submit to you that we Christians must? We don't follow the world and their intuition about how we order our lives which is why we're still celebrating Christmas with all the things, and they're not. And that's okay. We're not mad at them. They don't know. We do know. We know there should at least be 12 days of celebrating the birth of our Lord. So we meet, and so we gather. And so I challenge you right here at the beginning of the year, you're already here at the first one, so you made that one. The people that aren't here, they didn't make it. So, I mean, you know, I, I feel like I need to be somehow communicating with them. You know, you're looking at people out here and you're like, hey, man, you're preaching to the choir, buddy. We're here. <laughs> but I'm saying, let's, let's just go ahead and say to ourselves, you know what? Let's make it usual that this is what we do as the people of God is we gather together in worship of the risen Christ. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It doesn't matter what our children think. This is what is right. This is what we do. And just as the child Christ is doing here, we too, we pilgrimage. You see, I think Sunday is meant to be a disruption to our life. It should disrupt your life. It should cost you something to come to church ready to worship. Now, worship is not dependent on the people up here. We help aid. We're accompaniments to the worship of the living God. You are the one who worships. 
It doesn't matter if the sermon is bad, the singing is bad, the, the, somebody messes up on this or that in the readings. Listen, we're all human. We're all going to make these little mistakes like this. If we can't push past that and we're demanding some kind of commercialization of worship, we have totally missed the point of worship. Worship is real, with real people, not professionals. I, I could care less for somebody to professionally worship for me. No, I want to worship. I want to lift my voice. I'm the one who is witnessing to the risen Christ, not you for me. We've somehow commercialized worship and professionalized it beyond our ability to do on our own. That's hogwash. You can, everything that we did up here today, you can do at your home with your family. But we're called to do it together. We're called to do it together and at home. We're called to read the scriptures together, to pray with my family. I'm going to be held responsible for these little people. And you know what? They help me, keep me in line. Trust me. If you could ask Baylor, which don't say anything right now, buddy, he can tell you where he's helped me get right. Hey, we got to do the devotion, Dad. It's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, forgot, man. Or you probably shouldn't get that angry about that, Dad. Now, he doesn't just call me out on it like that. I can just feel him looking at me, you know. Sometimes people just have to look at you, you know, and you're like, I get it, okay? I got it. Church is not a perfect place with perfect people. Church is a family, and families are messy. Relationships are messy, and they're hard. They're tough. It requires, requires a lot of forgiveness, a lot of love, a lot of mercy, a lot of grace and forgiveness. We need to forgive and we need to be forgiven among family. You know, I, uh, we, we get bent out of shape uh, so easily and, and I'm, I, 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 I join you in that at times, unfortunately. And one of those days I, I hadn't had a lot of sleep. That's no excuse, but... It is a reality. When you don't get a lot of sleep, you get a little cranky. You know? Some of you know where I'm at. And, and here's the problem. That is not an excuse for how we act. Just because you're tired or you're hungry is not an excuse to mistreat people. Just because it's a personality thing or what. It's not an excuse. There are no excuses with sin. If it's a sin, it's a sin, it's a sin. And it must be repented of. And, and you must turn around. And, you know, I had a low point at high point the other day, all right? You know what high point is? It's a climbing gym, you know? So I go there. I've got kids with me. I'm looking forward to it. It's Jackson's birthday. And I got a crew with me, you know, and I'm wanting to get in there and rock climb and do all these things. And, you know, um, I, I get there, and we have a problem at the front desk, all right? And I won't go into it and bore you with it, but I had a problem at the front desk that ended up taking an hour to solve, so here I am at High Point, trying to enjoy Jackson's birthday, an hour in already, and I'm a little frustrated with things, okay? And so I let my frustration be known, not just this way, which I already was doing, you know, uh, but instead by going to the front desk and talking to the guy and trying to argue my point, right? Um, which I thought I had a pretty good argument, but uh, come to find out, he had a better reason, and uh, and. 
he got smart with me, I got smart with him, you know, and this is the manager guy, right, or whatever he, I'm not sure what, he, what his title was. Uh, so I text Jessica, I said, I'm never coming to this place again. <laughs> like, you can forget it. Like, this is the last time I'll ever step foot in this place, okay? And, um, and in the meantime, we're waiting. We finally get everything. Then we have to be oriented, which takes another 30 minutes. So it's about an hour and a half in. Now, I might be using hyperbole a little bit here, okay? Um, but it feels like about two hours in or two days in. And, um, and finally, we get to climb. And they have a great time, et cetera. And by the end of the, the time, you know, I keep seeing that guy. And he keeps seeing me, and we try to keep avoiding one another. You know how it is. Like when you see somebody that you don't really want to talk to in Publix, and you're just kind of like darting your eyes over there, and then you finally meet eyes, right? And I'm like, Ugh. and then the Lord just speaks to me and says, you need to apologize for how you acted. I was like, uh, you know, this guy, I'm like, I probably will never see him again. I'm not coming back here, right? <laughs> like, I'm never going to see this dude again, you know? And, um, and so uh, go on, try to fight a little while. I'm like, all right, guys, well, hey, let's clean up, get all your stuff. You know, we're all loaded up. They're all good. And they're standing at the front door ready to go, and I'm just like, I just feel the Spirit telling me, uh, impressing upon me, you need to go tell that dude you're sorry for how you acted. That's not how a follower of Christ acts. You say, yeah, that's not how a pastor acts. Come on, man. What is a pastor but a follower of Christ? Look in the mirror, friend. Same standards for you as for same standards for me. And so I uh, dilly-dally around for a minute, uh, go to the bathroom, trying to waste time and consider what I'm going to do here. And I finally see the guy, and there's a, you know, he's talking to somebody. So I'm like, well, he's talking to somebody, you know. I love. <laughs> we try to use every excuse, don't we, to get around what we know is right. And, and so I finally just go up to him. I say, hey, man, uh, I want to just apologize for, for how I acted back there. I, I, um, I was out of character for me, and, I, and I'm just, I apologize. He said, man, I, I really appreciate that. Um, he said, I, I'm sorry for elevating the situation, you know, <laughs> um, because he did, you know. And so I was like, I was like, well, hey, listen, thank we both. He, he stuck his hand out. We shook. We did a bro hug, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, and we got to talking for a little bit. And, um, and then I went back the next day. <laughs> so uh, point is, I really like the place now. And uh, my whole attitude has changed about uh, him and the whole establishment they have. And the point of that is this. When we practice forgiveness, things change. It ain't easy, though. Asking somebody to forgive you for the stupidity that we do is hard. We don't want to admit it. We just want to leave it alone. We want to do it and move on with our life. But the Lord does not work like that. He wants his holiness to be shown everywhere we go. That's with our neighbors. That's with our enemies. That's with our co-workers. And those who despitefully use us. That's who God calls us to forgive. And to receive forgiveness. Have you ever noticed that the Lord likes to teach us by the things that we don't like to be taught by? Sometimes he uses our enemies to teach us the lesson that we really needed to learn. If we're praying for patience, if we're praying to be more merciful this year, to be more generous this year, God will often choose someone annoying in our life to prompt us to these things. Because he's no respecter of persons. 
He uses everybody. He doesn't look out there and say, who do I like? That's the one I'm going to use. No. That's not the game he plays. And it's not the game we should play. Forgiveness changes things. And we are supposed to be a community of forgiveness. Which is why, upon first being hurt by someone, even in this church, or being whatever, you get sideways with somebody, it's going to happen this year. Trust me, it will happen. If you're close with people, it's going to happen. Let us practice forgiveness, because I can promise you, you'll be saying, this is the last time I'm going to talk to that person, and if you practice forgiveness, they'll be your best friend. Things change. Grace, God's grace, changes things. We're to be a community of world changers. That doesn't mean we have our face plastered on billboards and we take over the city politically. No, it means we do the small things that are the right things that bring change in individual lives. And you know what? We're doing that at Harvest Point in little ways. The world doesn't take notice. That's okay. I'm not here for an audience with the world, but an audience of one who is Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can you say that your life is devout? Can you say that your life is filled with this sort of forgiveness and being led by the Holy Spirit? If not, today can be your day, friend. Because let me tell you, if, if I can offer forgiveness and I can ask for forgiveness, let me just tell you that God loves to forgive. He loves it. He's joyful in doing it. We should come to him. The last lesson I think we can take from, from this little blip in Jesus' life is that a disciple is a sojourner. Israel was never allowed to just plant their life somewhere and stay there in their home and build their fortress and build their kingdom up and we're done. No, they were always planted there to be a light to the nations. And God, at every chance, when they start fortifying themselves, getting comfortable, kicking back in the lazy boy, saying, we've really arrived now, that's when he brings in the Edomites or the Moabites or the Perizzites or the Mosquito Bites that get them. Because he doesn't want us comfortable, he wants us holy. And holiness always goes out it never is just about us receiving. It's always about us receiving so that we can give. We've received forgiveness. Have we so quickly forgotten? Let us not forget like they did Jesus. You see, they're going along with their life and their journey. And it was a, it was a fair assumption that, that they would assume he was with the other travelers. Because they would travel in big packs. He was off with the cousins. You know how it is. Well, maybe you don't. But if you just come to a DAG event, you will. There's like 34 people there all of a sudden, and nobody keeps up with just any one person. As long as the herd is going somewhere, we assume everybody's there, and they did with Jesus. But then the day in, they realize he's not with them. They've moved on, and he's stayed back. Has that ever happened to you? It happened to me in 2020. I was going on somewhere and realized, whoa, where am I now? And all of a sudden was completely in darkness. You ever dropped into a valley? Ever felt like you were alone? Now here's the thing. We're never really alone. But the experience of our lives often indicate that we are. And this is where faith comes in, isn't it? 
The dark night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross would speak about, is a time where, where there is no word from God. We don't feel the fuzzies when we come to church or when we love our children or when we forgive our enemies. We don't have any good feelings at all. And yet we continue doing those things because they're the right thing to do and because we live by faith and not by sight, by faith and not by feelings, by faith and not by our own knowledge. We live by faith. We're a journeying community. Israel was never allowed to just plant and be done. We're never going to be done, friend. I don't care if you're 80 or you're 8. You're not finished. We're still journeying. God is still teaching you. If you're a disciple, you're a learner. And we don't stop learning unless we die. No, we continue to grow and we continue to go in his name. Don't lose Jesus along the way. We are a journeying. Think about it. I call it a journey or an adventure because adventures and journeys are unpredictable, aren't they? If I were to tell you, hey, we're, we're going to take a trip to Publix, well, that's probably not going to be that great. If I say, we're going on an adventure out west, which I told our kids when I was on sabbatical last year during the summer, we're going to California, never been there, you know, like they had never been there and never, I've never driven all the way that far. We're going on an adventure and guess what? We delivered on that. It was an adventure. And on adventures, you expect to break down. On adventures, you expect to meet hardship. On adventures, you expect to wait. On adventures, you expect all of a sudden, oh, we have to go back. I forgot something. We are on an adventure with Jesus Christ. This is not stale and old. This is new every morning following him. And we must keep our eyes closely on Jesus or else we'll go a day's journey without him. And when we do, and inevitably this happens sometimes, we can't just keep going and find him. In other words, if you realize today that you're in a place where Jesus is not, then to continue going in that direction, you'll never find him again. No, you have to turn around. You have to repent. And that's what that word means, doesn't it? Turn around and go back and search for him. Now, it's not lost upon any of us that it was three days that he was missing. And on the third day, he was found. Because he is found on what day? The eighth day, the first day of the week, Sunday. Now, we find him every single week. And Sunday should be a, an anchor for us. It should be a lighthouse for us in our journey. Yes, there's a lot of change in life and a lot of change in taking an adventure. But here's the thing that remains the same is that we gather, no matter if we're depressed, if we're happy, if we're mad, if we're sad, we gather as the people of God by faith to say, this is what is right. This is what we're going to do is worship Christ, not our own kingdom, not our own knowledge, not our own devices or finances, but instead we are going to, if you will, force ourselves to be devout people. Faithfulness. And I promise you, it'll develop something in your children that will last forever. They will have to step over it for the rest of their lives, even if they turn away. They'll have to step over that that devoutness 
that faithfulness that they saw in your life. So, my challenge to you this morning on this first Sunday of the year is very simple. I want you to make a faith promise. In other words, a promise by faith. In other words, what I'm saying is you say, I promise to do these things this year. But I promise to do them not on my own power. Not on your power, pastor. Or not on your, you know, guilt trip. Or not on your badgering me. Or not on your reminding me. But instead, I promise to do these things. I will remind myself. I promise to do these by faith. Now remember, faith is a gift from God. But it's also something we practice, isn't it? It's just both. It's just like a relationship. It's a gift, but it's something that we practice. And without practice, it dies. So let's practice faith. Let's be people of faith. Let's be faithful members of the church of Jesus Christ. And so, three things. Let's be faithful to give. Let's be faithful to grow. And let's be faithful to go. So we're giving and receiving. It's this back and forth mutuality. We're also growing and helping others grow. And then if we're growing, the whole purpose is not, oh, look at me. Look how far I've come. But instead, let's go to those who don't know. Let's go to the lost. Those who don't have Jesus. They've not found him yet. And they're walking in the wrong direction. Let's be a lighthouse right here in the city of Madison. Not in a cathedral, in just a normal building with normal folks doing something extraordinary. So I would invite you this year, let's make a faith promise. Not not for yourself, not for your kids, not for the community, but all for Jesus. Because he's above all those things. He's more important than all those things. So don't do it for them. Do it for him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.